Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey there, welcome to episode 10. Double digits, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with me the past 10 weeks. I am so excited about this week's episode and guests, Adam and Carissa King. Adam and Carissa have a coaching and therapist practice. They travel and teach marriage conferences and retreats, and they run an absolutely phenomenal social media resource called Dear Young Married Couple. Through their Instagram, YouTube channel, and podcast, they offer tips about relationships, marriage, parenting, you name it, they talk about it. And let me just say, even if you're single or you feel like you are way past the young married couple stage, they have content you need. I guarantee it. I cannot encourage you strongly enough. Go follow them. While you're at it, if you aren't following us yet, we're on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd love to have you join us there as well. Today, we are talking about maybe the biggest taboo topic of all, sex. We discuss how one of the greatest gifts God gave to creation has been twisted and warped, and how those distortions can even bleed into godly marriages. Adam and Carissa also offer their insight on how parents can cultivate a culture of open discussion with our kids and how that can prevent them from developing feelings of shame around their bodies and their God-given desires. And I hope you'll stick around to the end because we close our conversation with a brief discussion of same-sex attraction and gender confusion and how those issues can be addressed in a hopeful manner rather than a condemning one. This episode is full to the brim with great insight, so I'm going to get out of the way and let you get right to my conversation with Adam and Carissa King. Adam and Carissa King, welcome to Good Question. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Jessica. We're honored. I'm really excited to have you guys on. I have been a fan of your work, your podcast, and your Instagram account for a while. And the things that you guys have brought up and talked about I've just been like, yes, yes, yes. I'm so excited to see somebody talking about it. You're kindred spirits, I think, in that way that Aww. I'm all about pulling the hushed, quiet, secret conversations that people have, you know, mm-hmm. off to the side, yeah. kind of out in the open, because I think there are a lot of people who feel alone yeah. in their questions. And so that's kind of what we're about here. And I know that's the vibe I've gotten from you guys, what you're about yes. to do, so... I'm really, Absolutely. I really appreciated your content. So Aww, we'll start off you. with just an introduction. You guys, uh, if our listeners haven't heard about you or who you are, tell us who you are, what you're about. Well, we are Dear Young Married Couple. We run a podcast, Instagram, YouTube. Did I miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we do our best to help couples become connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. 
And that's kind of our, our mission. Mm -hmm. And so wherever, you know, there's a lot of subjects within those, you know, getting connected would be marriage advice, get adventurous. We tend to sometimes live in safety instead of taking risks. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the risks have the biggest rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm, we're talking about like, you know, starting a business or living a full life or mm -hmm. taking that risk and having the hard conversation with your, your, your parents or your, your spouse or, you know, like whatever needs to happen there. And then to, uh, find purpose. I think there's a lot of people that are living without mission. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what God wants them to like, they, they live for God, but they're not accomplishing what God wants them or maybe is calling them to develop so that they can have a mission and, yeah. and create an impact. And so uh, we kind of facilitate conversations around those topics mm -hmm. and push people to live their best selves now. Yes, I love that. I can relate 100% to knowing that there's something God wants you to do and being afraid of taking the risk. So mm -hmm. I appreciate on a personal level that goal and that yeah. message, because I think it's making a difference. I won't say it's made a difference yet. It's making a difference in my life go. and in my yes. uh, mental and spiritual health to mm. jump yeah. out and do what I knew God was telling me to do. And mm -hmm. I was afraid of doing for a long time. So yeah. I relate to that a lot. Tell us a little bit about you guys have been married for a while. How long have you been married? What's your family and what's your yeah. work entail? Sure. So we've been married for almost 13 years. Um, we have two kiddos. They are two and three. They're 18 months apart. So our hands were definitely very full. As Are full. Well, they are full. <laughs> but to having two, two babies in diapers, that was, that was probably a very full season. Thankfully they're, they're, she's not in diapers anymore and he's almost out of diapers. So. God. <laughs> it's a milestone. <laughs> yes. it is. Thank you, Jesus. And we are a um, coach therapist team. So we have a practice here in Sacramento and I've been a therapist for about 10 years and we've been doing side-by-side -side coaching, uh, ministry, mentoring for us uh, since about 2011. So Almost 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. It's been really a ride. <laughs> yes. Yep. It's very rewarding. It's challenging at times, heartbreaking at times, but so rewarding. And we see so many victories and um, couples getting intimately connected, getting adventurous, finding purpose. And that's that those are our three tenants. So anytime we see that happening, we light up. Yeah, I bet. That's really cool. So I mentioned before we started that, I had you guys on my list of people to interview for a long time. And there are lots of different topics that come up on your podcast and your YouTube series. And you also do marriage seminars. But one of the topics that you guys don't shy away from and you talk about on a regular basis is sex. We and do. It's not something that we hear a lot about, or right. at least I haven't growing up in the church. I can very distinctly remember the very first sermon that I ever heard preached at a youth conference that was not sex is awful, sinful, mm. shameful, right? The yeah. first like positive affirming message that I ever heard over a pulpit. And I mm -hmm. was shocked and yeah. 
encouraged because as a young person, you're dealing (laughs) with things and desires and emotions and hormones and all these things. And to have a a minister say from the pulpit to a huge youth conference, like, this is from God and it's good. Yes. Um, That's a great thing that you even heard that over the pulpit. It was amazing. It was, (laughs) it blew my mind, honestly. And it was Like I said, I can remember to this day where I was, who it was, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s when this happened. So to see you guys having these conversations so openly is encouraging. But I would like to know from your perspective, being the ones out there having these conversations, talking on these topics, what kind of reactions do you get? And (laughs) if they're not positive reactions, how are you hoping to change that Mm. perspective of the church (laughs) as a whole, if that's part of your goal? Yeah, it's definitely part of our goal. Yeah. We, um, interestingly, we don't get direct negative feedback about being so open about the conversation around sex and sexuality. I'm sure we have indirect, like people not talking oh, yeah. or saying, you know, hey, I talked to my best friend about how much I hated listening to you talk about sex. <laughs> no, we don't get that. Um, thank God, because it probably disturb us a little. Yeah. Um, but uh, we do enjoy that conversation Mm -hmm. just because we know it's needed. Mm -hmm. I tell people that we have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people from every walk of life, from all over the world, and everyone has their mask off. Mm -hmm. No one comes into our counseling, so to speak, room um, with their their mask on. (laughs) I mean, maybe COVID if we were together. I'm joking. (laughs) No, but like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're hypocrite, right? Like, right. like what we look, what we see all like, oh, every, they have everything together. So we talk to people that, you know, they're open with what they don't have together. Yeah. Their guards are down, their walls are down, they're vulnerable. So we see their victories and we see their heartache mm-hmm. and we see also their struggles. Mm-hmm. And of course, these things come up and generally they're a result of things they've learned or shut down in their mm-hmm. life. And so once you see a pattern of, of shut down conversations around sex, which is one of the most beautiful things that God has given us, mm-hmm. you know, we say, okay, we need to talk about this. And there's other topics too, but this is definitely a big one mm-hmm. that we, we as a church can really take back because the beauty of and fullness of intimacy can only really happen in a marriage when you're fully known and fully loved. And that takes time to be known. Yeah. You know, I was listening to somebody, a rabbi a couple of days ago that was talking about like the fact that you exist is like kind of the eyes. I could see that you exist. I see what you're wearing, but that's not very deep. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh-huh. it's really the getting to know someone takes time. Mm-hmm. And after, you know, talking and, and asking questions and going deep, then you start to get to know someone. But they're a deep well. And so that only happens. You can't have a a Tinder relationship with someone and have the type of intimacy that everyone wants. You can only have that within a consecrated, committed, trust-filled marriage. And that's what we all are looking for. It just makes you realize how distorted sin in the world has made that opportunity mm-hmm. for intimacy yep. when it's reduced down to the way that the world portrays and participates exactly. in sexuality and how far away it can get from God's ultimate design 
mm-hmm. um, and his beautiful desire for what he wants intimacy to be between husbands and wives, but then between himself and his church. Right. Mm. And yeah. those things can seem so far apart, right? When we think about the message of sex in the world and how distorted it is compared to the intimacy that God wants with his church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes those seem like two totally separate things, but when you really break yeah. down in the word, they're supposed to be mirror image, right? They're supposed to yep. be go hand in hand. And we exactly have done some, you know, sin in the world. It just has taken and twisted. Because the world has twisted the uh, message of sex and sexuality so much. There's so much debauchery there. The church's response has been just shut it down, hmm. you know, and just no, no, no. It's purity talk, you know, and, and that's good. We, it's, we, it's very protective in nature. It's protective. Yeah. And so in our efforts to be protective, we have shut down sex entirely yeah. in the church. And so it's, it's something that we know that we're allowed to have sex when we're married, but that's all we know. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you don't have sex until you're married and you're allowed to have it when you're married. That's the only message we get. And that can be a really tough message for virgin Christians going into a marriage. Yeah. Well, that leads right into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, Carissa, which I've heard you say on some of your podcasts, the concept of no, no, no to go, go, go. Yeah. (laughs) And how that's not something our brains are even capable of processing as quickly as we have to. Right. So when you grow up hearing this message that sex is bad, you know, we got to, you know, shut it down. That's lustful. No, no, no. And then all of a sudden when you're married, go, go, go. Your brain has what we call neural pathways. If you had a house at point A and then you had a sidewalk that was poured to point B, that sidewalk in between house A and house B is your neural pathway. And your brain has formed a neural pathway between sex and bad, sex and sin. And so to all of a sudden make that switch on your wedding night, even though like your body is driven toward your spouse and you're, you're wanting to have sex. I mean, a lot of women, I, I worked with several yesterday. I had two women yesterday who were terrified of their wedding night, Mm. terrified, right? Even though they want to, on the one hand, have sex with their husband, they're terrified because they've just heard like, it's, it's bad. It's sinful. And then the advice that they've heard is it's painful, Mm. you know, and, and that, you know, you're going to have to really work your way up and you're going to have to work your way into it. And it's kind of like, do it for your husband. Right. Right. Yeah. Like duty. It's not, it's not like you can enjoy this. This can be amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a, yeah, but that's your marriage duty. So go ahead and just do it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so to make that brain shift, I mean, the studies show that it takes about 21 days to form a new neural connection. And that's if you're doing it like very consistently. So, you know, people who are trying to stop smoking and they're, they're trying to stop the whole like um, hand to mouth connection. Mm. They'll try to reassociate that trigger with something else. It takes about 21 days if they're consistently working on it. Um, Same with like trauma. When we work with clients who are trying to form new neural pathways between a traumatic trigger and then something good rather than it being associated with anxiety or fear or death. And so think about that. You go into marriage, sex is bad, sex is sin. And all of a sudden, it's supposed to be good. And then on top of that, to reinforce it, what if it, it, what if the wedding night doesn't go as planned? And mm-hmm. so there's let down feelings and expectations are broken. Mm-hmm. Then you just now set, well, 
of course, you know, this sexual experience is not something to look forward to. It's kind of anxiety filled. Yeah. And now there's more stuff to work through. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the difficult kind of problem that the church has set up for itself. Mm-hmm. And it's not out of, you know, like, let's make it terrible. Let's make it hard for people. <laughs> it's just been out of this protective, like, mm-hmm. I really think that the central idea that, that has caused this is sex is for marriage, mm-hmm. you know, which don't, is good, which is good. Yeah. But don't talk about it. Don't, you know, it's in marriage. So, you know, keep it private, keep it you know, like put shut this, down, shut yeah. down, put this in this box mm-hmm. because it's in marriage. You don't talk about it to your friends. That's not holy. You know, so you don't read books on that. Uh, we maybe could, but just keep that really to yourself, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and that's only if you have a problem, you know, like, right. so it's this very shut down conversation. It's very tilted because when we do talk about it, it is kind of in that negative, don't have sex before marriage. And uh-huh. like you're talking about, no, no, no. So it's kind of set up this difficult paradigm mm-hmm. for us to overcome. And that's why we're outspoken. Like, look, this is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. I, I often like to talk about like, or think about too, how God has, God knew how twisted sex could become before he created that amazing act. Like he, in his foreknowledge, knew that this stuff is going to be just completely corrupted, like mm-hmm. rapes and murders and all this other stuff having to do with sex. But he still saw it as beneficial for us to have. Mm-hmm. And so wouldn't it be a, a, an incredible loss for us not to experience the joy and beauty on the other side? Like, yeah. yes, how much brokenness, but how much healing and wholeness can we also experience to justify God's risk on giving this beautiful thing to us? Mm-hmm. He thought it was worth it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're big on changing that paradigm in the church and it starts with our own family, you know? Yeah. So with, with your kids, um, celebrating sexuality from a young age, uh, naming the body parts by their actual names so that there's no shame around their body parts growing up you know, talking about mommies and daddies and how they love on each other and showing that affection in front of your children. Like that's huge (laughs) and actually helps their cognitive development. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a thing to be celebrated. I was asked recently to, to do a a purity talk and I opened, it was with girls. We were all in a huge circle, probably about 20, 30 of us in this big oval. I opened it up by saying, all right, ladies, did you know that sex is amazing? And these are like 12 to 18 year old girls, right? (laughs) And I just went right in with like, it's this incredible gift. Like there's so much pleasure that can be experienced. And God made this gift for us, for you as a woman. Like, and they were just like wide eyes, like what? Like kind of like what you said when you, when you heard this positive message at a youth conference, right? And, um, the preacher probably didn't come out and do that though. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what the preacher did on, at that, on that end. But it's, you know, I want them to remember that. I want that to stick in their head so that when they're married, they have this neural connection that they've already formed between sex and good, sex mm-hmm. and worship. Like sex you are a pleasure. sexual being. You're going to enjoy yes. it. This is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. This is something that you're going to look forward to. Yeah, and not especially just like, for girls. Because we hear that, of course, guys are sexual beings, right? Mm -hmm. That's not even in question ever, (laughs) even in the church. Like you were saying, Adam, like it becomes a duty for the wife. You have all these negative 
associations of sex with sin, and then it becomes Mm -hmm. something that you kind of have to do. Mm -hmm. And then none of that sets you up to be like super excited about it. And then you also have this whole idea. And I think you mentioned this in the podcast episode that um, you guys did recently, Carissa, about it then just becomes like, okay, we're just going to have to do this. And it Mm -hmm. can't be fun. And it can't be anything really enjoyable. It's just that turn the lights off. We've got to just, this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And I think because then you see like everything you really know about sex is outside of marriage through media or whatever, mm-hmm. then thinking about taking any of that stuff that you know into your marriage feels like you're bringing sin into the marriage. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh no, I can't do that. Yep. yep. And so anything that happens to try to spark intimacy and fun in your relationship something in your brain shuts it down exactly I mean yeah. I know I've experienced that when with my husband yeah. when he would he would say something you know yeah that could have sparked excitement and fun mm-hmm. and my brain says like no dirty bad mm-hmm. don't talk like that yep. whenever mm-hmm. I'm his wife he should be yes. able to say those things to me yeah. you know I'm the mm-hmm. only person he can say them to right that's right mm-hmm. so there's yeah. this whole weird thing Mm -hmm. It gets all mixed up. And you're right. I think starting with celebrating it with our kids, Mm -hmm. changing the way we talk about it is the only way to get us through it and out. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? Yeah. Bridal showers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bridal showers are a good one. But really, it's what we what we like to say. It's not the talk. It's Uh the talks. Uh Plural throughout their entire lives. Um, we should be having talks where they never, do you, do you remember learning what your elbow was? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. But you remember learning what a vagina is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Our hope is to make it that our kids never remember learning anything about sex or, or what their parts were because it, they just always knew it just like their elbow, mm-hmm. just like they knew what going potty is. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that's our hope is that, that we never have this big talk. It's just, we have talks throughout mm-hmm. their entire life. You know, and this, This is so profound here. But if we as adults watch how we react to things, because that will send messages to your kids like, that's off limits. I better go ask my buddy Mm -hmm. about this or go ask my my girlfriend about this. And this goes for so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a person of faith. So, you know, are you a safe place for them to bring their questions, Mm -hmm. their hard questions? Can you anticipate a question? You know, do you have that time, that insight into your child's life to know that they have a question in there, but they're trying to get to it? Mm-hmm. Can you premeditate it? Mm-hmm. You know, and that goes for, for sex. That goes, you know, for questions about God, like hard questions about God. Mm-hmm. You know, like, are, can you, how do we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Mm-hmm. You know, how do, wh- where did God come from? You know, mm-hmm. who made God? Or like, you know, these questions that kids yeah. have. If yeah. God was the first, then who made him or how'd the mm-hmm. earth get here? You know, all these mm-hmm. questions that we could feel uncomfortable with because we're not maybe prepared or we think we're not prepared, but yeah. just simply, you know, I don't know. That's a super question. Let's go. Look, let's go find that out together. Yeah. But with sex, oh, and, and of course not dumping too much on a child. And I think that's the problem that people worry about. Well, I don't want to tell them too much. Uh-huh. I don't want to tell them too much. And that's the huge worry. But I think we've erred on that side of, mm-hmm. of the aisle yeah. that we've been so worried about giving them too much that we give them nothing 
and then realize that when they're 18 and we never, or maybe had two talks and they just have to find out by themselves, where are they going to find out by themselves? Either a friend or Google, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, it's crazy. Like I was thinking a lot of the world used to live in, you know, like not in cities, right? We used to live as human beings in different, you know, like very rural places, very small places. So kids watched horses reproducing. They watched cows reproducing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You could see a pattern, right? Mm -hmm. But now we live in cities. How do, how do kids, you know, like not everybody has dogs and cats that sees that happen, right? Right. So, so there are a lot more questions. It's not, it's much more opaque Mm -hmm. in this side and we Mm -hmm. could be much more sheltered and have no idea where that stuff comes from. Right. So, anticipating, I think, some of these questions and bringing it to the surface mm-hmm. and and being that safe place mm-hmm. of and having time to talk about it. Yeah. Not this stuff, but everything. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to develop that security of asking and giving knowledge in a safe place because if you don't do that, you know, someone else is going to teach your kid. Mm-hmm. And I love the title of your podcast. Um, good question. <laughs> That's such a great response to kids too. Like if you can't think of anything to say, start with good question. Mm-hmm. Like if they are asking you about sex or they're asking you about something related to, uh, you know, a God question that you don't know the answer to, you don't want them to think that you're an unsafe place to ask that question. And so if you look at them, like, where did you hear that? Like, right. right? They're going to think, oh, not safe. You know, right. like not going to come back here, going to talk to my friend instead, going to Google it instead. But if you can go into that going, hey, that's a good question, right? And then like, let's let's think about that. So that, And that's, let's think about that. That's giving yourself time. Where do I start? Right. How much do I say? Right. Mm-hmm. And you can well, ask them questions figuring too. out what exactly they're asking. Because sometimes yes. I know I have a, we have a five-year-old and mm-hmm. she'll say, hey, mommy, blah, blah, blah. And your mm-hmm. brain goes, where did you hear that? What are, but she's not even talking about what I think she's talking about. Sure. <laughs> she's mispronouncing a word or yeah. she's coming at something from a five-year-old's perspective. Yeah. Not from, you know, <laughs> yep. her mom's perspective, who's afraid of all the things she could have possibly uh-huh. picked up at school or whatever. And just pausing for a second and being like, hmm, where did, what's that word? What does that mean? Uh-huh. You know? And letting yep. her kind of talk me through to where she is, then I can be like, oh, okay. mm-hmm. this is not something I need to freak out about. This is yep. a starting place to have a conversation yeah. and not totally. jump too far ahead, right? Mm-hmm. And not give her more information than she's ready for. Yeah, like never lie to them and always ask if they have more questions, mm-hmm. right? Because her mom was really good at that. Yeah, because that might, that might um, let you know how far their brain is going. Um, Because they're going to walk away from your conversation thinking about it more. Mm -hmm. And they might have more questions, but they might go and ask friends if they felt like you were kind of shut down. Mm -hmm. But if you are open and you're like, that's a great question. Let's talk about it. And so you, like you said, you find out where they're coming from and all that. You answer their question. Do you have any more questions about that? Mm -hmm. Anything else that comes up in your mind when you think about that? You know, and then they know, okay, that's an open forum. I can come back to that with my mom. Yeah. Or even anticipating like doing that, you know, a week later, man, that was such a good conversation we had, Mm -hmm. you know, last week. Did you think of anything else that you had, you know, that you were, that that came up for you maybe? Mm -hmm. 
and just being sweet and fun loving with it because this is a wonderful thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not something we have to hide right. or be worried about them asking. Like we want yeah. them to, to ask these questions to us mm-hmm. so that we can give them the, the Christian, healthy, whole mm-hmm. responses. I'm just thinking of this now as we're discussing it. How do you approach it if they then want to talk about things that aren't deemed as appropriate outside of the privacy of your home or a one-on-one conversation, right? So you're talking about, Mm -hmm. we're telling them about body part names and we're talking Mm -hmm. about this stuff openly. It's not a secret. It's not shameful. It's not dirty. And then it comes up Mm -hmm. in Sunday school or (laughs) at school or... At dinner at grandma's Uh where the reaction, you can't control everyone else's reaction. Right. So how do you balance that with kids teaching them, okay, this is not (laughs) shameful, but it's also not something that we just talk about everywhere or should it be Uh something that we're talking about everywhere? Well, it's such a balance, right? It totally depends on the context. Uh I mean, if honestly, like if, if our daughter were to say something in front of family, <laughs> well, she has, she does hilarious a lot stuff. and we're fine with that. Like they know that we, we teach openly uh-huh. and without shame. Um, but there are times when it's a little, you know, more embarrassing. Like when she was with my sister in target and she sees a guy with long hair and she's like, auntie K that, that boy has long hair, but he has a penis. <laughs> like, you know, like she's trying to figure this out. Like, like this guy has long hair, but he's a guy. It's like, okay, I hope, I hope nobody heard that because That's you know, hilarious. that could, that could feel a little off-putting or whatever, but what, what's the worst that could happen? Right. Honestly, like that's not that bad. When you look at the flip side, there's a lot that can happen negatively if, if this is all shut down and shame filled and secret. Also, so. and God forbid, if it's all shut down and secret and they don't know their body parts, and, you know, someone tries to touch them, how are they going to communicate that to you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, if we have a good conversation, it's very open, then it's not shameful for her to be like, hey, someone tried, you know, like, uh-huh. and she could mm-hmm. just spell it out. Right. She has words for it. Right. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what the problem is, is, is when there are no words for the things that they're trying to. Yeah. That's why emotional vocabulary and yeah. language is so important to teach them as well. Mm-hmm. But talking about safeguards, that's a major one. Mm-hmm. Do they have words to communicate yeah. about their body? Yeah. So yeah, benefits to risk ratio. Could it be embarrassing if they say something in public? Sure. You know, like, but like, or like Adeline the other day was playing with her friend and they're playing with the horses and she's like showing her friend the horse's bottom. And she's like, look at, do you want to see the horse's bottom? And her friend's <laughs> like, no, Addie, ew, that's gross. And she's like, she said this, she goes, it's not gross. God made the horse's bottom. It's beautiful. <laughs> and so, you know, it got texted to us and they thought it was hilarious. We were like, and, yes, that's because awesome. I don't remember talking about your bottoms that God made and it's beautiful. But I mean, I'm sure we maybe have said something in that, but mm-hmm. like, it's funny what stuck. Like yeah. that was her comeback. Yeah. So our daughter isn't going to have tons of shame around her body. Yeah. And honestly, that's a huge block in so many marriages, especially for women Mm -hmm. about their body and it not being, it not looking like, you know, Mm -hmm. how they want themselves to look. Right. So therefore they shut themselves down because they think their body is Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Right. 
Right. That's a huge one. So if we could start from the child, like your body is what God's made. And mm-hmm. right. yeah, you know, like there's so much more benefit there mm-hmm. than the opposite. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about this starting with young kids. And of course, that's going to flow into the adolescence and um, young adult years, right? Mm-hmm. I'm noticing just from looking around online, things I'm seeing people talking about this, a really humongous backlash against the purity culture of the like 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. whenever I was in high school, the true love weights movement, all of that, of how maybe the message itself wasn't damaging, but the way it was presented, a lot of people are feeling that it was damaging to them in their understanding of sex and that it's affected them in their marriages. So how do we tweak mm-hmm. this? How do we, we know that God's designed for sexist purity until marriage, Mm -hmm. but that's not common in our culture. Mm -hmm. And so it might not even be a hundred percent common in our young people in our churches, right? Mm -hmm. You have kids that have unfortunately have been molested or abused, or you then have people who just have given into temptation. So how do we tweak that talk that we received as young people for this generation, that we're still upholding God's design for sexuality, but we're offering the hope and the grace for those that have already fallen short mm-hmm. or who have, by no fault of their own, feel like their purity has been taken from them. Mm-hmm. How are you all approaching that? When, you, Like you said, you gave a purity discussion, a purity mm-hmm. talk recently. How do you approach that with kids? Today? Yeah, I'll let my wife jump in because she has a lot on this. But I think that purity, the only reason why... We want to be pure is because of the moral, what God teaches us with this, right? So it only happens then in relationship. So when we're communicating to our kids or, you know, to people around us about purity, it's always, there has to be relationship there Mm -hmm. developed and formed and solid. Like, I think a lot of times, like, you know, we're kind of talking about the little kids, but like, those conversations don't stop. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen a lot of times within that purity culture, it was like, we don't talk about dating very much. Like we couldn't even use the word we dating when we were dating. We <laughs> did it. But but there was not an open conversation about it. Right. Right. right? We didn't celebrate the fact that we were, we celebrated the fact that we were all loved by Jesus and that like we were married to him until we remarried or something like that, you know, like yeah. all that yeah. stuff. But like, we didn't celebrate the fact that we were in love in love, and we had raging hormones and all that other stuff, right? Yeah. So I guess the first part that I would want to like set this up is like there within relationship, there's always communication mm-hmm. and we have to communicate about this in a, an excited, helpful, fun way mm-hmm. and realize that, you know, we are going to have those pull toward the other person. We're, we're not going to want to never touch them. Like, is that, is that possible? I don't know. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Right. You're going to want to hug them. But inside that purity culture, it was like, no, nothing. No hugging, no holding hands, no kissing, nothing. So Bible space, you know, like it was so much restriction. The emphasis was placed on that and purity rather than, and relationship and, and the other side. So it was, it was prohibitions and permissions rather than celebration and not, you know, knowing what's natural and open conversation. So, I mean, yes, 
we want to maintain our purity. That's a beautiful biblical concept. But how does that play out? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So one thing that we talk about is um, the, the ladder, the dating ladder. And it, on the one side, we have fully known. And on the other side, we have fully loved at the top of the ladder. And that's what marriage is. It's when you're fully known and fully loved. And those are the different parts of the ladder. In the middle of the ladder, though, is, your, is the kind of where your relationship is, your status, right? Define the relationship. Mm-hmm. And what happens, we get in trouble when the sides are unbalanced. Mm-hmm. So you just met the person, but like the next month you're kissing and you don't even know what their favorite color is. Mm. Like you're not known. You're physically being, well, I don't know if it's loved. It's yeah. affectionate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's way imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And so we never get into particulars like, don't do this, don't do that. Mm. I think we just have to say, besides, you know, like there are things that are going to be not good and God talk, you know, the, the Bible talks about having sex before marriage and I'm sure other acts and touching is not going to be helpful and probably antithetical to what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. So of course that stuff is kind of without said, but like, what about the things that are okay? Like is a hug okay? Mm -hmm. Well, when, Mm -hmm. you know, like it depends Mm -hmm. and why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. So what we like to do is sit down with young people and have them draw out. Like what should you be knowing if you're hugging? Like, have you had time for this relationship to develop and how are you hugging, right? Is it a full on hug or is it a side hug or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't see as it's my place to tell you, no, that's not right. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely going to awaken something in you. Mm-hmm. Is that the right time? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, do you know about their debt? Do you know about their relationship <laughs> with their pastor? Do you mm-hmm. know, like a lot of these important things that you need to know as you, as you get to know somebody, then the expression of love and affection can go up as well. And, you know, we, we've seen people like get shocked when they see like engagement pictures of friends kissing and we're like, wait, they're engaged. They're going to get married in a couple months. Uh Like this is, this is a good thing. Like they probably know a whole lot about each other and they're expressing their affection in an appropriate way. Like, and that was so off limits, you know, you save your kiss for the wedding night and you're at the altar and then for all of us who kissed before we were before the wedding night, you know, felt a bunch of shame over that because it was this secret thing, right? And so I think adjusting that now in terms of what we talk about premaritally is that, you know, we what we know about somebody should match how we're loving them, mm-hmm. how we're showing, expressing love. That can be, that can be any of the five love languages, not just physical touch, right? right? But the way that you demonstrate your physical touch can match what you know about them and how far up that ladder you are. And so, anything distinctly sexual, we save until marriage. But kissing is affectionate. Kissing can be very loving without being sexual. Can it lead to sexual things? Of course. You got to put your boundaries in place. So we we have boundaries discussions with couples and have them write out their boundaries. We still think that's important and healthy. We're just trying to be practical and really make them be very specific and open about where they are in their relationship and what's happening. Mm-hmm. We don't, we, we're, we're pretty blunt and straightforward if you can imagine. <laughs> um, because we know, we know it's a wonderful thing that God's given them their desires, mm-hmm. but we want those desires to be channeled mm-hmm. and to be shown appropriately right. in the right time. Yeah. And um, if you're doing, if you're kissing and making out, like 
way before being known and, and you're, you're not even engaged. You're not even close to being engaged. Okay. So then what's happening there for you? Mm-hmm. Is there maybe a gap in your, in your life? Is there, are there needs there that aren't being addressed? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's other questions that we ask if that's way off balance, you know, is this lust? Is this just a fling? Like mm-hmm. what, what's going on here? And to kind of close up this part of the conversation, because I want to make sure to address the question about um, trauma and abuse Mm. and when your innocence is taken from you. First of all, that is not a willful decision that you make when you are abused. And even if you were in a situation where you made a willful decision to have premarital sex, remember that marriage is a covenant. Marriage, it's like baptism. When you go into marriage you start an entirely new covenant, an entirely new chapter. And everything before that, it's the old that's been gone away with. It's been done away with, just like baptism. And you enter this new covenant, this new chapter. And um, that's a blessed chapter. And anything sexual within that chapter is so celebrated and beautiful. And you are not tainted or dirty. Um, you've brought that to the Lord. There's been repentance. Um, if it was a willful decision, if it was not a willful decision, there's nothing for you to repent over. Mm. It, you know, there's been abuse. There's lots of processing that needs to be done probably in counseling. But as far as it being part of your innocence or your purity, like you are a pure bride mm-hmm. before Christ and you are a pure bride before this groom um, and you're enter- yeah. entering a new covenant. That's beautiful. I have never yeah. heard that described that way. And that is, that's amazing. I love that. With one caveat that the person, if you do have a sexual history, your spouse does need to know. Oh, or your yeah. spouse-to-be does need to know Yes, that. for sure. But once, you know, everything is known, mm-hmm. you know, that that does, in a sense, disappear. Right. Like we're in a new covenant. Mm-hmm. It's you and me. And mm-hmm. we're going to keep that. Yep. So that's, that's a big deal. And yes. so many people struggle with shame if they're abused. And I think seeing a counselor for that, mm-hmm. especially could shave years off of, um, not off your life, but what I'm trying to say, like, it'll make you so much more. Years of heartache. Productive. Um, yeah. Shave like, years of heartache. Yeah. Yep. So see a counselor for that. For mm-hmm. sure. All right. I feel like in 2021, you can't have a conversation around sex and purity without addressing the fact that same-sex attraction is an issue for people Mm -hmm. and gender confusion is an issue in our world. And those are not invented issues. Those are real issues that people deal with. Mm -hmm. How do we, when we're talking about having a safe space for kids to come to us for dealing with young people in our church, even older people in our churches, Mm -hmm. how do we address these topics and maybe more helpfully, what should we not be saying? Mm-hmm. What's not helpful when someone is dealing with same-sex attraction or gender confusion? Yes. Good. Yeah. Well, we haven't talked about this much. Mm-hmm. Um, or on the podcast. We've talked on, about it a lot. On the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about, well, we've thought about a lot. We've, mm-hmm. we've worked a lot with, around these subjects. So yes. we're very familiar and we've worked with a lot of people. So we have to say that first. Mm-hmm. This is not just like book knowledge. And I love what you said. This is not invented. Like these are real issues. We have worked with so many Christian young people and older adults that struggle with this, that say, I want to 
serve God. I want to do everything that I need to do to be right before God. And I'm dealing with same-sex attraction or gender confusion. And so it's not, I mean, sure, there are those people that, that, you know, probably just get caught up with the world's narrative and, you know, make the choice to just, just go experiment. But there are a lot of young people and, and adults out there who want to want to be pure and want to do the right thing and live biblically. And yet they're still struggling with this. Mm -hmm. And so um, I like, I like how you prefaced that. That's a good way to preface it. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I've, I've worked with um, dozens, dozens and dozens of Christian young people who are struggling in, in some sort of LGBTQ area. And um, they're, when I, when I work with them in the first session, I always lay this out and there's so much hope and relief that comes from this. We have to separate the whole concept into four areas. Okay. There's attraction, experience, orientation, and identity. We lump it all in the church and in the world into one category. We say you, you are, you are your attraction. You are your experience. You are your orientation. You're your identity. And why this is such a difficult problem is we know that we have thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. You, you are not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You have thoughts. So what if I'm walking down the street and I look over and I see a guy that I find is attractive? <gasps> I just now thought what, and then I go into identity. Like mm -hmm. I am, I, so that therefore I have those attractions. And then I, then if that's disturbing to me, then I dwell on that and it becomes more and more of a reality mm -hmm. and I have nowhere to put that. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So I just want to jump in yeah. there with that, like that this is why it's so difficult mm -hmm. because it doesn't leave much room for understanding that, you know, there are many shades of what we're dealing with yeah. here. Right. So like, um, you know, someone could come to me, I've had various scenarios, like they, um, you know, were, they backslid when they were 16, they were at a party, they got drunk and they ended up having a sexual encounter with a woman, like a woman having a sexual encounter with a woman. And so all of a sudden her sexual identity is called into question. She's like, am I attracted to women then? Right. And she's never been attracted to women outside of that. But now she's wondering because she had this, this experience. So we go, okay, there's no, there's never been an attraction to woman, women. That's the first one experience. Okay. You had an experience with a woman orientation. The definition of orientation is a pervasive pattern over a lifetime. So when you're 16 or 17 or 18, can you really say that you've had a pervasive pattern over a lifetime? Okay. And then identity, who is our identity, right? Who we are children of God. That's who we are. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said. And so if I am God's child and I am grafted into this family and this is my identity. I'm a new man, a new woman. New creature. Then I can't be ashamed of that identity. So we spend a lot of time on identity, who you are, because the world tries to lump that in. It's like, well, if you have this experience, then, then you're gay, then you're lesbian. And that's, that becomes your identity and, you know, live that out, come out of the closet. And, and it's this identity statement. Well, that's not who you are. You could genuinely experience same sex attraction. I've had people come in, never had any experiences with, with the same sex. They've never, you know, actually done anything sexual or been in a relationship. They just feel like they're attracted. 
well, then that's an attraction. No experience, no orientation quite yet because you're 17. And then identities in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So we separate these four columns on paper. And, you know, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times there's been an abuse issue. And they were abused by someone of the same sex or abused by someone of the opposite sex. And so they, they're driven toward the same sex because it was such a repulsive and painful experience. And so that that's an experience, no attraction, right? Just experience, no orientation yet. And, and then their identities in Christ. And so we, we separate those four and it just brings so much freedom to them to acknowledge that. Now, what do you do from there? What's not helpful to say is, you you know, that's a sin. That's a sin that, that you have this, that you're struggling with this thought that, oh, that's a sin. If they're not, um, you know, doing what the Bible says, like uh, the Bible says, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, then, then that's adultery. Well, if they're not lusting after someone, they're just finding someone attractive. They're not undressing them in their mind. They're not having a lustful. Remember that when it becomes lustful, Mm -hmm. it's a willful action. We get ideas all the time Mm -hmm. that, you know, I see a woman on the street and, oh, wow, she's pretty. But I do have to stay there for a minute Mm -hmm. or more. I make a decision to stay there. In order for it to become lust. It's when I realize that I'm thinking about that person Mm -hmm. and then it becomes a choice. Do I continue and that sin, mm-hmm. or do I put it away? It's always at the point of decision where sin starts. And there's so many young people that are, they want to live for God. They're doing missions work. They're involved in church. They're, they're doing all the things, right? And they just have this thorn in their flesh. We don't know what Paul's thorn in his flesh was. <laughs> it could have been that. He lived in a culture where that was very prevalent. And so do we say that you can't be used anymore in the church? Do we call them sinners? Or do we say, hey, maybe you're going to live a life of celibacy and that's your thorn in your flesh to carry and that's okay. Like that they're never going to experience sexuality in that way. Maybe their their sensuality comes out in creativity through music or the arts or through, you know, projects and things that they produce. Um, And that's that's, a whole nother conversation. It's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) But maybe they don't experience that. And that's that's a result of fallenness in our world. And they still are committed to living biblically, right? Because we've had a counsel too where someone was was gay, mm-hmm. but they were encouraged to marry to prove themselves or try to get over it, mm. right? And so then they have a whole bunch of other issues later on. We don't recommend that. That would be another thing not but to advise someone This would be do. something that to talk to a counselor again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some books that we could recommend too mm-hmm. that would be very helpful. Uh, Yar House. Yeah, would be a, uh, someone to look up on on uh, Amazon. He has yep. tons of good books yep. that we kind of we we do like what he teaches. He has a book called um, Gender Dysphoria, and then he has a book um, called Homosexuality and the Christian. Um, and then there's a really good one um, for parents, pastors, and friends. It's like a I think it's more designed like for youth pastors and it's kind of got a fun cover. Um, the, so Mark Yarhouse is one of our go-tos on um, same-sex attraction in the church. And so that would be, I think that's where we would direct you first. Yeah. There's another book called Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill. And he's a minister with same-sex attraction that has committed his life to celibacy. And unless the Lord changes something, and we've seen people who have been changed, although that's not 
that's not, you know, the typical. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, conversion therapy is not something that we're an advocate of, you know, it's against the law actually, mm-hmm. um, to try to like convert somebody's gender or sexual identity mm-hmm. either way. But if the Lord does a supernatural work in somebody, we're, we we're proponents of that, but we're more, we lean more on the side of like, if this is a thorn in your flesh, how are you going to carry that? Well, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really great. I appreciate you letting me throw that last question in there and talk about that. It, it clearly could be a whole other. It could. It could be a long episode. A long episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sure. And maybe we'll uh, get together about doing that in the future. But I really wanted to make sure we added that in there because I think it's important that we don't act like that's not a thing because it yeah. is a thing. And it's it, it's a thing that plagues our young people. And it makes, you brought it it up. makes my heart hurt for yeah. them because I hear the messages that they must be inundated with mm-hmm. yeah. and it makes, and, it breaks my heart. That's yes. why we have to, again, relationship, relationship, relationship yeah. and, and open the conversation, be a safe place to talk. They want community we and the have, world's yeah. going to give it to them yeah. if we don't. Yes. 100%. All right. Do you guys have an answer for our final question, which is what's a good question you're asking lately? <laughs> yes. What's your good question? Uh, something I ask myself. The first one I like to ask my clients and I like, I like to ask myself is where's the bottleneck in my life right now? Mm. So if I worked on one aspect of my life and it would open up other areas or open up more possibility, what would that place be? So in your marriage, where's the bottleneck? What's holding you back from the the blessings from, you know, all the things, the potential that you want, it's kind of held up here. Mm -hmm. But if we can kind of open up that funnel, maybe you can have more of it Mm -hmm. and become more powerful and like blessing. That's that's one of them that I like asking. I like that one. So I'm working on my dissertation right now and for my doctorate in theology. And so my dissertation is on a biblical model for marital intimacy and specifically looking at Pentecostal ministers' views on marital intimacy. And so a question I've asked myself that I'm researching on lately is what is the biblical model of marital intimacy? There's so many aspects to it. That's fascinating. Well, I will be looking for that when you uh, when you publish. I will like Thank to you. read that. That will be fantastic, I'm sure. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you coming on. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Jessica. We we love your concept about, you know, asking questions and not uh, dancing around taboo subjects, just yeah, diving you're living right it in. Out. It's, good. it's awesome. Doing my best. It's great. Thank I you. appreciate y'all. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take appreciate care. It. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, you guys, I could have talked to Adam and Carissa for about five more hours. I love how their openness and honesty makes what could be an awkward topic completely comfortable and relatable. They are great models for how we can start to have these open conversations in the church, in our marriages, and with our kids. I hope you took something away from this conversation that changed your perspective or opened your mind. Most of all, as with all the conversations we have on the show, I hope it helped you feel less alone. If any of that is true for you, please share this episode with a friend. Like I said at the top of the show, if you aren't following Dear Young Married Couple, I recommend that you rectify that right now. 
They have so many resources available, including conversation starter card decks to get you talking with your spouse and a monthly live date night option that you can do from your own home. Links to their social media pages, as well as the resources they mentioned will be in the show notes. Also in the show notes will be links to support this show on Anchor. We appreciate every single cent of support from our fantastic listener supporters, and we'd love for you to join them. You can find us on Facebook and we're on Instagram at Good Question Show. Also on Instagram, I'm at Jessica Tandera. That's Jessica T as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. The show is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tandera. My co-producer, editor, and the partner God gave me for getting adventurous and finding connection is my husband, Dave Tandera. Our audio engineer is Josh Powalczyk. That's it for me. I hope you have a fantastic week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.